0: I want to invite you to just, if you'll remain standing for a second, I just want to ask you to bow your heads with me. And, um, you know, this has just kind of been uh, what I've sort of felt and sensed throughout the morning going back to the, the first service group earlier today. And I, I don't know, I've just, I've just kind of sensed um, this morning just kind of a weightiness, like a, a heaviness among many of us coming into, into this room. And, and so before we open up the word together today, I want us just to reflect on what we just sang. We sing to the Lord, I depend on you. Why do we sing that? We sing it because He's dependable. I look in this room this morning. I know many of you, man, you're combating some illness and sickness. You've got family challenges. I'm looking in this room. I see seniors, they're gonna go off to college this week. I see parents who are burdened for kids. Even for me, man, I just didn't sleep well last night. And, and, and you know, sometimes, man, even even the pastor's got to get in the groove. It's not necessarily feeling it. And so, listen, if, if that's you this morning, you're just, you're just kind of, man, I'm, I'm not feeling it right now. Like, I'm just, I'm barely here. I feel like I have nothing. The invitation for you right now is to lay that nothing at the feet of Jesus. He doesn't need you to have anything in your hands to be here because he's everything you need. You're the branch, he's the vine. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Apart from him, we are nothing. But the promise we have in the gospel is that Jesus Christ is our everything. Bring your nothing to him. Find your everything in him. So Jesus, we depend on you. You invite us to abide in you. You promise that you will abide within us. And Father, we do that now by abiding in your word. Because it's from your word, we see Jesus, we see our hope, we're reminded of our salvation. And so Father, I pray for that brother or sister who's in this room today, who's, who's struggling just to take one more step Help them to see that this is the place where it's safe to fall. Help them to fall now into your hands, into your arms, to surrender their nothing and to receive your everything. So Father, will you speak to us today words that will edify your church and bring glory to your name. Sanctify us in truth. Your word is truth. Speak to us now. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Hey, you can go ahead and have a seat. And as you find your seats this morning, I'm gonna invite you to turn with me um, to the book of Colossians. We're gonna spend one more week together. Been in this room several weeks now. And the thing that I love about it uh, versus the YMCA is I feel so close to you guys. And I've just decided I don't like standing behind this podium. Um, I wanna be close Front row, you're in the splash zone, so just beware right now. I'm just letting you know. Um, But I want to be in proximity to you. And what we've seen in Colossians this summer is Paul is not at all writing in proximity to this church. Um, Paul is writing from a Roman prison over a thousand miles away to a group of people that he would never actually meet face to face. And yet what we've seen for several weeks is that even in his correction of the church, Paul never loses his affection and his love for the church, and his love for these people is evident um, at every turn of this letter. So Colossians chapter 4 is where we'll be together this morning, starting in verse 2, and then we're going to round out our time together here today. I think March 12, 2020 is going to be a date that is just seared in my conscience for the rest of my life, and here's why. Um, For a couple weeks, all of the COVID tensions had really been ramping up, There had been a lot of conversation about school closures and building closures. And as a portable church, you know, this was a pretty troubling conversation for us because we don't have our own facility, which means we didn't get to make our own decisions and what we were going to do. And that week in particular, we were having to have the conversation of, what happens if the YMCA closes its doors? And so as best as possible, we tried to plan behind the scene and, and come up with, with as many contingencies and scenarios as we could so that we could be prepared no matter what. But even with all the talk, and even as you saw things happening internationally, there was still this part of me that was like, there's no way that's going to happen here. There's no way that's gonna happen here, but all of that got completely blown up the night of March 12th. I'd had a a late night, that meeting had a late meeting. I got home, my family was already in bed. I made myself a delicious dinner of apple cinnamon Cheerios. And uh, I sat down in front of my TV and I turned on an NBA game, uh, Dallas Mavericks were playing. And in the middle of that game, the NBA made its announcement that they were suspending the rest of the season indefinitely. And that was the moment where it hit me This is really happening. Like that was the moment for me where all of it got really, really real. And so I sent a message to our staff team. Hey, just, Be ready for anything this weekend, guys. We don't know what's gonna go on. I I sent a message to our elder team, and the next 72 hours were just chaos. We were still planning to have worship services at the YMCA uh, that particular morning, and and we were all systems go for that weekend, and we were just thinking, hey, we'll get through this weekend, and then we'll sort of regroup on Monday and see where things were, and that was the plan. And then around 10 o'clock that Saturday night, I got a message from the YMCA letting me know we were not gonna be able to meet there the next morning. But the building was pretty much set up for services. And so Grayson and I came up with a quick plan. A couple of other staff were there. And, and, and that morning, uh, that, that following Sunday morning, I preached to an empty room and a camera in the YMCA, which is absolutely lame, by the way. Worst experience of my life. And, and it was just a whirlwind weekend, trying to figure this out. I remember going into my office the, the next Monday morning, just trying to begin wrapping my head around what was happening. I remember sitting down in my office and just having this moment where I kind of fell apart before the Lord and just said, Lord, I have no idea what I'm doing. We were this three-year-old baby church without our own facility, still very much trying to, to find our feet and just to kind of figure out our identity and who are we as the body believers. And I'm just going, how in the world are we gonna survive this? And, and in that moment, the Lord encouraged my heart with one of my favorite quotes from A.W. Tozer. Tozer once said, what a scared world needs is a fearless church. And so right there in my own moment of fear, What I asked the Lord to do was to mark our congregation by fearlessness for the rest of the year. And and man, for all of 2020, by God's grace, the testimony of our congregation is we did not just survive that year, we thrived. Um, We, uh, within 72 hours, had transformed our office into a recording studio. And for the next 12 weeks, since we couldn't get in the Y, we just recorded sermons and posted them online. We celebrated Easter at the drive-in movie theater. Who was a part of that that year, by the way? That was awesome, right? Easter at the Drive in Movie Theater, we provided devotional content online. We partnered with a couple of food banks locally. Our church grew numerically in 2020. When the narrative of churches was that they were shutting doors and closing down and half the people are never coming back, we saw our church actually grow. We baptized more people in 2020 than we had in the previous two years combined. And, and man, what the Lord did for me personally that year and what, what he demonstrated to our congregation is exactly what we're gonna see as we close out Colossians together this morning. What we saw in 2020, what we're gonna see today is that the mission of the church will always continue because the message of the gospel cannot be contained. There is absolutely no circumstance that can Stop the advance of the gospel and that can stop Jesus Christ from building his church. As we've seen together this summer, Paul's circumstances have been far from ideal. Again, where's he writing this letter from? He's writing from prison. He's writing this from a Roman prison, a thousand miles away, to a congregation full of people that he would never actually meet face to face. And what Paul desperately desires for them is for the work of the gospel message to continue. So from Colossians chapter four, let's read beginning verses two through four. Paul writes, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear. Everybody say clear. That I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. So verse three, Paul reminds us that he's in prison on account of of preaching the mystery of Christ. We saw this several weeks ago that in Jesus Christ, the mystery of God has been revealed. We don't have to sit around wondering what God is like. Jesus is the image of the invisible God who has come to show us what God is like. The mystery has been revealed in Christ, and on account of preaching Christ, Paul has landed himself in jail. So regardless of our circumstances and no matter how we may feel, no matter what situation we find ourselves in, what Paul shows us this morning first from verses two through four is that we should always continue to pray for the gospel to advance. Continue to pray for the gospel to advance. Prayer is the driving force that pushes forward the ministry and the message of the gospel. The word for continue steadfastly that the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to use here is a word that he only uses a couple of other times in his letters. And, and what this word carries with it is a sense of persistence and perseverance and devotion. You know, in their prayer, he challenges them to be watchful, literally to stay awake. And what this language invokes for us is a picture of what the Lord spoke through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 62. This is how the Lord instructed the people. He said, I have set watchmen on your walls. I set watchmen on the walls. And the job of the watchmen was to stand on the walls and cry out to God day and night. And the Lord instructed them, cry out to me until Jerusalem is once again in peace. And the instruction the Lord gives, the Lord gives them is, give me no rest. Give me no rest. Whenever we're being watchful in prayer, what, what Paul's getting across to us here." is be the type of people who are so devoted to prayer, not that God needs a nap, but we would never give him the opportunity to take one if he wanted it. Understand, our failure in prayer is not that God gets tired of hearing our prayers. Our failure in prayer is that we grow tired and weary of praying. last week we saw that every text of Scripture has what you would call a fallen condition focus. That's Brian Chappell's language. And, And what that means is that every passage that we find in Scripture, every command Scripture gives us to obey, every sin that Scripture calls us to avoid, the command is given because our natural sinful tendency is to do the opposite of that command. So every time God's Word calls us to do, our flesh says don't, and every time God's Word calls us says, don't. Our, our flesh tells us, no, no do that. And so, so Paul shows us here, we continue steadfastly because our natural tendency is to not continue steadfastly. Man, I, I just so appreciated Alex's transparency this morning. Like steadfastness, he's like, that's not necessarily something that marks my prayer. It's not something that always marks my prayers. This is not our natural tendency. Our natural tendency is not to continue steadfast. Our natural tendency is not to be watchful. Our natural tendency is to be lazy and go to sleep. Our natural tendency is not to be thankful in our prayers. Our natural tendency is to be ungrateful. So Paul encouraged them to continue praying for the message, the ministry of the gospel, the advance of the gospel, but he isn't just encourage them to continue in their own prayers. He says, you guys keep praying for me. Paul's writing these words, again, from from prison. And what we see in this passage is that Paul had absolutely no intention of slowing down. None. And so as we pray for gospel advance, Paul shows us here we should pray with two specific aims. First, we pray for open doors. He he asked them, pray for us also, that doors for the gospel would be, be open. Man, this is one of the things that I love most about the life of the apostle Paul there was absolutely nothing you could threaten him with. He could not be threatened by anything. And so Paul would be preaching the gospel and they'd be like, hey, shut your mouth or we're gonna kill you. And Paul would be like, finally, to, to, to die is gain. I get to be with Jesus. And they'd be like, all right, smart guy. If you keep preaching, we'll just, we'll just put you in prison the rest of your life. He's like, jail ministry, great. To so live is Christ. But let, let's do this. There was nothing that you could threaten Paul with. And, and so he's asking men continue praying for us, continue praying for my ministry right here within the walls of the jail cell, even behind bars, Paul was praying for open doors. So we pray for open doors. Friends, I just want to ask you this morning, do you pray for opportunities to share the gospel? Do you pray for opportunities to engage those who are far from Jesus with the message of the good news of Jesus? Do you pray for open doors? we've got a great resource. It's a free resource we have out in our Next Steps area, and it's a book we've really not been able to keep here uh, for the last several weeks, and it's a little short green book by Nine Marks uh, that answers the question, what if I'm discouraged in my evangelism? And and that's a really good, simple, practical starting point that you could read, but I think the simplest place you would start if you're discouraged in your evangelism, evangelism is, man, just begin to pray. Pray that the Lord will open doors. Pray that the Lord will give you opportunities. Pray for open hearts, pray for open minds, pray for receptive ears, pray for open doors to advance the message of the gospel. Um, Next month, uh, Emily and I will celebrate 10 years of living in Beaufort. Uh, Moved here in the fall of 2013. It's hard to believe we've been here for a decade already. Moved here fall 2013, and this is what I've learned to be true just about the spiritual climate of Beaufort, South Carolina. We're here kind of in the Bible Belt. We are still predominantly unreached as a county, believe it or not. And what I've found to be true in Buford over the last 10 years is there's not like a lot of outright hostility to the gospel. So if you share the gospel message with someone, it's not like they're going to cuss you out and punch you in the face necessarily. Probably exceptions to that. Be careful. But, but generally, I've found it to be true. Most people are not like outright hostile to the message of the gospel. What I have found to be true largely in Buford, is that there's just a great indifference to the gospel. It's kind of like, hey, that's good for you. It's not necessarily good for me. Glad that makes you happy. I I don't really see a place for that in, in my life. And the mentality, prevailing mentality, this is the Beaufort dream, right? It's like, man, I got a house in the water. I got a truck. I got a boat. I got a good 401k. What do I need Jesus for? And so it's not necessarily a hostility, but there's this great indifference to the gospel. But what I have found to be true over and over and over again is almost anybody's willing to have a conversation with you about Jesus. For most of the people in our own community, man, that door is already cracked. So we don't even necessarily have to pray for the Lord to fully unlock the door. We're just asking the Lord to to push it open. Are you praying for open doors? Are you praying for opportunities to share the gospel? But Paul doesn't just encourage them to pray for open doors. Second, he says that we should also pray for clear words. Pray also for us that I may make the gospel clear. Now, you know, at first glance, you might look at this and say, hey, Paul, your preaching of the gospel landed you in jail. I'm not sure clarity is your problem, bro. Seems like you're doing pretty well there. And yet this is what Paul is showing us in in this, is that even in his great personal suffering for Christ, even in proving that he is someone who's willing to to give up everything to follow Jesus, he is still acknowledging the potential of his own human weakness in not fully declaring the good news of Jesus Christ. Again, for for some of us, the issue is not open doors. For some of us, the issue is speaking with clear words. And, And particularly, we live in Western American culture. We live in a hypersensitive culture, um, I think that the the largest workforce in America are those who are full-time employed in being offended by everything. And, and it bugs me sometimes. I'm sure it bugs you sometimes. And, and because of that, man, we'll just kind of sometimes step on, on these these eggshells, like just, ooh, let's be careful. We gotta be careful what we say. Gotta be careful how we say it. And like, yes and amen to all that. We'll see that in just a second. But I think sometimes for us as Western believers, the issue isn't with what we will say. The issue is with what we won't say. All day long, love, grace, and mercy, right? All day long, yes and amen. God is a God of love. God is a God of grace. God is a God of mercy. And that's half of the gospel. But then when we get to holiness, repentance, judgment, maybe not so much. And so the door is open. The opportunity is there. But our problem is clarity but we're afraid in the, in the name of not wanting to cause offense, we remove the offense of the gospel. And so we don't pray for one or the other, we pray for both. We pray for opportunities for the to open. we pray for opportunities to share the good news of Jesus. And then when we have that opportunity, we share the full gospel message with great clarity. So we pray for open doors, we pray for clear words. But even as we pray to be bold, our desire to be bold is in no way, shape, or form an excuse to be brash. This is what Paul goes on to say in verses five and six. He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always, everybody say always. If you do a deep study of the Greek here, guess what always means? It means always. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So regardless of our circumstances, we continue to pray for the gospel to advance. Second, regardless of our circumstances, continue to practice your faith before the world. So again, going back to verse four, we do pray for gospel boldness, but our, des- our desire for boldness is not an excuse for brashness. Verse five, Paul says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, And as we walk in wisdom, we pray for open doors and clear words. But then as we do this, as we are engaging others with the message of the gospel, as those doors open, Paul gives us two more specific instructions. He shows us that we should guard our walk and we should be people who guard our talk. So like the phrase, continue steadfastly in verse 2, the phrase, making the best use of the time in verse 5, shows us we should strive to be people who are always actively engaged in the mission of the Great Commission, making the best use of the time. We want to redeem every moment for the glory of God in the advance of the name of Jesus Christ. Christ. Church, understand being a follower of Jesus is a 24 hour a day, seven day a week, 365 day a year engagement. Being a follower of Jesus, being a, on mission with Jesus, man, it, it is like being on deployment without furlough. We are actively engaged with him in his mission at all times. You don't become a follower of Christ when you pass through those doors on Sunday morning, and you don't stop being a follower of Christ when you leave these doors here in 30, 45 minutes. We are actively engaged as followers of Christ at all times. You are always on the mission field. As soon as we step out of this place, we are stepping into the world that Jesus is calling us to reach. So we need to be people who guard our walk, and we do this more specifically by guarding our talk. Verse six, Jesus says, let your speech always be gracious. Let your speech always be gracious, always implying there is never a moment when your speech should not be gracious. And this needs to sink in with us, that, this word, that the imagery of salt here uh, might take our attention back to the Sermon on the Mount. We were studying this about a year ago, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, where Jesus is preaching in the Sermon on the Mount. He reminds his disciples, you are the salt of the earth. He says, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, in the context of Matthew 5, Jesus was talking about salt in the context of it being a purifying or preserving agent. So he was talking there about preserving the integrity of our gospel witness. But the way that Paul's using it here in Colossians chapter 4, he's using it in the same way that we might talk about wanting to add flavor to our food. So, so literally seasoning your speech, adding flavor to your speech. Um, I don't know about you, but I have a very strong personal conviction that every restaurant, every single restaurant should give out free chips and salsa. And um, I feel very, very deeply about this. I mean, it's uh, fast food, five-star dining, donut shops. I don't care. I want free, I want free chips and salsa when I walk in. And, um, and, and what I've learned it, to be generally true for me is that the chips that are offered in most of these restaurants don't have enough salt on them. Some, some don't have salt at all, and I'm not interested in bland chips. And so I'm the person, when I sit down at the table, I do as God intended, I take the salt shaker and then I add it to the basket of chips. I'm trying to add flavor to this. And so this is what Paul's saying. You and I should be the type of people who help others see the flavor of Christianity. We want people to taste and see that the Lord is good. And oftentimes what happens is you and I step out of this space and then we carry a bland witness. The world tastes it. And instead of seeing that the Lord is good, oftentimes they taste it and they see that Christians are bad. And so there's a disconnect. There's a disconnect between who we say that Jesus is and, then, and the way that we're trying to live our lives. And there shouldn't be any sort of disconnect between the two. Uh, this was a couple years ago. I, uh, I went out to a restaurant here locally and, and oftentimes what I'll do, you talk, by the way, this is just a really simple way to see if someone has cracked the door open. Um, sometimes I sit down at a restaurant, try to in a really just kind of non-confrontational way, a non-threatening way, um, as, as we engage the waiter or the waitress, might say, hey, we're gonna pray in just a minute before we eat. Is there any way that we could pray for you? And again, I found in our community, generally a positive response to that. Some some will say, hey, uh, I think I'm good. No, thank you, but I appreciate the offer. Um, but others have meant taken up that opportunity to say, yeah, you know, if you could actually pray for my family, this is going on and this is going on with my my uh, work and this is going on with school. And and so I had this opportunity a couple years ago is a waitress was serving us and she shared, yeah, you know, I've got this going on with my son and, and I've got this going on with school. And, and we in, just over the course of sitting there and eating lunch, just got to have some, some side conversations, weren't trying to distract her from her work or anything like that or get her in trouble, just be quick questions here and there. Um, but as we were wrapping up, I just said, hey, I'm just curious, like, do, you, do you have any kind of faith background? Are you connected to any type of local church? And, and she said, you know, I, I spent some time in the church as a kid. It wasn't like a huge priority in our family. But as I've, as I've gotten older, I, I really just don't see Uh, the importance of the the church in my life. And she was like, and I just kind of have a hard time with with the idea of it all. And and just kind of playfully, just trying to keep the conversation going, I was like, is it the Sunday uh, lunch crowd that gets you? And she goes, "Uh, actually, yes. And this was a humbling moment because beyond, according to her, uh, large groups of Christians walking in entitled and demanding, not tipping well, which is a different sermon for a different day, but brother, sister, if you don't tip well, that is a direct reflection that you have a bad understanding of the grace of God. Like, that's a, that's a terrible witness. Please do not tell people you go to church here if you don't tip well. I, and I mean that. Like, I, I mean that. So, but besides all of that, this, this was her biggest critique. She said, most Christians just come here after church and then they talk about what they don't like about their church. And and so that was her perspective. She was like, man, these these people don't even seem to really want to be there themselves. They don't seem to enjoy it all that much. Why would I want to be a part of that? We're the salt of the earth. We're the salt of the earth. Our speech is to be seasoned with salt. We are adding flavor to Christianity for somebody. Through your witness are people tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. Do they see the church as something to be desired, something that they would want to be a part of? This is for all of you. uh, This is a 1900s reference for all of our students and kids, all of you 90s DC talk fans in the room. It's a quote from Brennan Manning that that I heard this for the first time when I was like eight years old and it stuck with me pretty much my whole life. That there's uh, the fourth track, I think, what if I stumble starts with this quote from Manning and he says, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. And that's what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Church, when we leave this place, I don't just want our community to see that Jesus is believable. I want them to see Jesus is beautiful. We have to guard our walk. We have to guard our talk. We we walk in wisdom toward outsiders. You and I have to understand that there are so many people in this world, they are making their judgment of what they believe about Jesus, what they believe about God, what they believe about the church based on what they see in you and me. I've heard it said by many different people in many different ways that there are five gospel accounts. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and you, and most people will never read the first four. What is the testimony of our life preaching? Are we practicing? Are we walking in wisdom toward outsiders? Are we guarding our walk? Are we guarding our speech so that the lost and dying world that is spiritually dry and empty can taste and see that he is good? Let's round out uh, Paul's letter here, verses seven through 18. And I just wanna encourage you on the front end of this. I don't know about you, but in my Bible reading plan, when I get to parts like this, this is when I'm most tempted to skim. I'm like, what What does this have to do with, with anything? Don't check out on this. I'm gonna give us a recap here in a second. There's a reason why Paul does this at the end of a lot of his letters. So let's read this together. Verse seven, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him, and Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision, which is just another name for those who were Jewish believers. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read to the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. Quick note there. When you read the New Testament and you see the letters to the churches, yes, those were letters written to individual, individuals or to individual churches, but all of these letters were circulated to all of the congregations. And so everything you read in your New Testament is to be seen as applying to all believers, not just to the believers in that specific location. And he goes on, verse 17, "'Say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains.'" Grace and peace be with you. Regardless of our circumstances, continue to pray for the gospel to advance. Continue to practice your faith before the world. Third, Paul shows us this morning, continue to partner in ministry with the church. There's a really basic structure um, to Paul's letters that will just maybe be an easy way for you to uh, get an overview of his approach to ministry. Paul's letters have a pretty basic structure grace and peace to you in the name of God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the gospel. Don't forget it. Keep preaching it. Watch out for false teachers. For the love of all that's holy, would you people quit sinning so much? And then after all that, he's like, Timothy says, hi. Tell that guy I need my jacket back. Tell that brother to bring me my books. And, and so, so what we see in this is, man, Paul had relationships With these people. More than that, this is one of our best evidences for local church membership. Like, he's writing to a specific church in a specific location, and this is like a membership roster. I mean, he is calling out these different people by name. And I just want to give us a quick overview of the significance of every one of these individuals, because what we see in this list of people is that there is a place in the body of Christ for everybody. There's no one who is more significant, less significant than any other. There's a place in the body of Christ for everybody. And we see that through the list of individuals he gives. So just rapid fire here. Uh, Tychicus is a member of Paul's ministry team and he's the courier who's gonna deliver this letter as well as Ephesians and Philemon. Onesimus was a converted believer who was a bondservant of Philemon. We saw the nature of the master bondservant relationship last week. Aristarchus was a fellow minister and a prisoner with Paul. Mark went on Paul with his first missionary journey, but he suddenly left. And this is important for us to see moments like this in scripture. Paul and Barnabas had a very sharp disagreement over Mark. And for a season, two champions of the faith, giants of the faith decided it was best for them to go their separate ways. But apparently Mark has proven himself and Paul's view of him now has changed. There's Jesus, who is called Justice. Jesus was a common name, but this is a fringe character that we know almost nothing about. The men of the circumcision, these were all people who were Jewish Christians, so he's writing to both Gentile and Jewish believers. Epaphras heard the gospel in Ephesus, and he helped start the church in Colossae, currently with Paul in Rome. Luke was a doctor who's traveled extensively with Paul, and he wrote the gospel of Luke in the book of Acts. Demas, this is a really important one. He was at one point in time in ministry with Paul, but eventually he fell in love with the world and deserted him. Paul was hurt by church people too. He was hurt by religious people too. And we see that with the lists the name Demas being in this list. Nympha was a gem, Gentile woman who was apparently loaded because her house was big enough for the whole church to meet there. And then you have Archivist, who might have been the son of Philemon. He's just simply told to fulfill his ministry. We don't know what the ministry was. We just know he's supposed to fulfill it. And so what we see in this list of people is, are a couple of different things. Again, one, there is a place for every person in the body of Christ. Everybody's contribution looks different. For some, man, it's just carrying the mail from one church to the next. Others, it was opening up their house. For others, it was suffering together in prison. It was participating in the body of Christ in some way, whether it was praying, whether it was giving, uh, whether it was actually being present with each other in uh, the moments of greatest needs. We see that and we see names in there again—people we know absolutely nothing about. Nobody had an insignificant role in the body of Christ. That's the first thing we see. The second thing that we can see in this list of people is that even for Paul, the church was a very messy place. One of his closest friends, Barnabas, at some point in time, they have a sharp disagreement and they go separate ways. And then you have Demas, who was in ministry with Paul, but falls in love with the world and abandons him. Paul was hurt by church people. Jesus was hurt by religious people. Listen, this is true of every member of every church in the history of the church. Everybody's been hurt by the church at some point. Every pastor I know has been hurt by the church at some point. You wanna have coffee and have that conversation? I'd love to. And that's not to stand up here and play victim. That's for me to stand here and say to you, man, I hear you, I get it. Like the church can be a hard, difficult, messy place because it's full of sinners. And what we see all throughout this letter is that even in his correction of the church, Paul never loses his affection for the church because as messy of a place as the church can become, the one thing we are never commanded to do in the New Testament is to leave it. And regardless of where our participation in the body of Christ might lead us, listen, for Paul, participation in the church didn't lead him to prosperity. It led him to prison. And in no way, shape, or form did that hinder the message or the ministry of of the gospel. Man, so much of this letter is the exact opposite of what you hear from prosperity gospel preachers today. Their message is, follow Jesus and your bank account will grow. Follow Jesus and your investments will do well. Follow Jesus, you'll finally get that house. You'll finally get that car. This is, how, this is what's being exported to third world countries. Follow Jesus and your crops won't die. And people are manipulated into giving up everything that they have financially. Follow Jesus and, and, and you, you won't have the struggles. You won't have the sickness. You won't have the diseases. That, are that Church, we are never promised any of these things. We don't follow Jesus to get more. We follow Jesus because we have been given everything that we already need. Paul's contentment was not contingent on his circumstances. Paul's, Paul's contentment was contingent on who he was in Christ. And so how do we continue participating in the body of Christ today? Very, very quickly as we close, this is what we see in these last several verses regardless of circumstances, regardless of the season of the church, we partner with the body of Christ. We partner the church in several different ways. In verses seven through 11, we see that we do this through sending and through going. There should always be an eagerness of the church to send out members of its own congregation to fulfill the great commission outside of our walls. That means we as a church should desire to see right here in Beaufort, more churches planted, more churches revitalized, to go beyond our community and see more churches planted, more churches revitalized, to send missionaries into places where the name of Jesus has not even yet been heard. To to the two and a half billion people globally who have yet to even hear his name, we should be marked by sending and going. We participate in the body of Christ by serving and by giving. We see Nympha opening up her home. We we see all through the New Testament believers using their material resources, gladly giving them for the advance of the gospel, using their God-given gifts for the building up of the body of Christ. Understand, there were zero spectators in the New Testament church. Everybody was a full participant in the body of Christ, and that's what God still desires for his church today. We partner in our praying and in our reading. We see them struggling for one another in prayer, contending for one another in prayer, circulating the word from one church to the next, receiving the word from other churches, seeing that the church was being built up by the ministry of the word. We partner with the church in our maturing and in our growing. I'm just gonna continue to drive this point home. I said this several weeks ago, and I would wanna make sure we land on this again. Man, it's so exciting on a Sunday morning to see at all three of our services, I mean, people are coming in, people wanna hear the gospel, people are connecting to our church. We're gonna celebrate some of that in just a few moments here, but please hear me on this. My number one concern is not that Cross cross Community Church continue to grow. My number one concern is that we grow up, that we grow and we mature in Jesus. I do not wanna be a church that's a mile wide and inch deep. I don't want to be a church that gives off the illusion of power just because of the number of people that participate. I want us to be a church that puts the gospel of Jesus Christ above all and recognizes the power of this church is not in me. It's not in anything that we do here. It is in the power of the name and the message of Jesus Christ. And to continue driving that forward together, that we would grow and mature in our faith and our understanding of God's word. And finally, we partner with the church in enduring and remembering. The closing of this letter, Paul's words, man, it's just a sobering reminder. He signs off with this, remember my chains. You know, when I I look around so so much uh, that we're experiencing as a church, I I do not wanna dismiss these things at all. But I want us just to consider this, especially this service, because this service is the service that feels all this pressure more than the others. When I woke up this morning, My biggest concern was, where are we gonna park all these cars? Where are we gonna put all these kids? That's like our big concern week to week. Just really for this service, it's not as much in the other services. There's a brother in Christ overseas right now in a country where it's illegal to be a follower of Jesus. When he woke up this morning, his chief concern was not, where's everybody gonna park? His concern was, how am I gonna keep my people alive? church, most of our problems aren't problems. Most of our problems as a church here in the West are actually the result of the privileges the Lord has blessed us with. And again, it's not to dismiss this. Man, I, I get it. Like you show up Sunday morning and man, kids ministry got full or you had to park down at the park and you didn't have your hiking boots. I'm like, man, I, I get all that. Like, we're trying to work on those things. I don't want to be dismissive at all, but I think it's so important you and I keep the right perspective here. Most of our problems are not real problems in comparison to most of our brothers and sisters in harder places. We remember the persecuted church. We remember, and you and I today, we proclaim loudly and boldly the message of the gospel, remembering that there are still today the Pauls who are in chains And we respect them and we honor them and we support them by freely and boldly and clearly declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ in a way that they cannot do right now. And so as we continue this transition as a church family through the summer, Regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the season that we're in, let's be devoted to prayer. Let's be serious about prayer. Let's hold one another accountable in our walk and in our talk, knowing that many people are making their determinations about Jesus based on what they see in us. And let's remain partnered and connected to the local church. Listen, even when it's a messy place, because the gospel tells us that Jesus loved us in spite of our sinful mess too. And we display it to one another in our fellowship as we continue to advance his kingdom. So will you bow your heads with me um, as we, we close together this morning? Just a moment, we're gonna come to the table for communion. And so I would just encourage you to invite the Lord to search your heart. Let's prepare ourselves as we come to the table today. What, what, is, what is in you that is not of Jesus? What is in your walk? What is in your talk that's inconsistent with who God calls you to be, with who his word calls us to be? I mean, maybe, maybe you're struggling in prayer. Maybe you're struggling to, to stay committed to the body. Maybe just struggling altogether as a follower of Jesus. I maybe mean, you're just trying to be faithful, but you feel like you're just stumbling step after step after step. And this is the good news for you today that we're reminded of at this table. God's love for you is not contingent on all of the spiritual things you're doing for him. His love for you is contingent on what he has already done for you in giving you his son, Jesus Christ. Will you abide in him today? Will you rest in him today? Because here's the deal, guys. When when your heart is satisfied in Jesus, you you don't have to be forced to pray. You'll just do it because you love him. You don't have to work yourself up to follow him every day. You'll just you'll just do it out of the joyful overflow of contentment in your heart. You don't have to force yourself to come to church because you will see yourself as a part of something that has the privilege of stewarding who he is to the watching world. So fathers, as we come to this table this morning as we remember Jesus, as we remember his death and his resurrection, be honored and glorified in our prayerful response in our confession and our repentance and our singing and in our rejoicing lord let it all be a sweet fragrance and aroma to you we ask all these things in jesus name and everyone said amen